Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking, and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's episode is a solo podcast speaking with you about binge eating. Now, I am planning on recording a second podcast on this very topic and bringing in a emotional eating coach or someone who specializes in the field. I have recorded an episode in the past on this topic, but unfortunately, due to some tech difficulties, we lost it. (laughs) I was so upset when we lost that episode, but it's just the way the cookie crumbles at times. And I am really excited to explore this topic with someone who works specifically with women who are struggling with the binge eating cycle, because there are so many women who are struggling with it. And I know that from my own personal experience, I've been very honest in sharing that I struggled with having an eating disorder in my early 20s. And to be completely honest, it still is something that rears its head when I'm struggling in other areas of life. It is definitely a coping mechanism for me when I'm feeling out of control in other areas. And it's one that I'm very, very mindful of. And I continually have to work to not let it get big or get, I like, what am I trying to say? Like, it's an effort for me at times to do the things that I need to do so that it doesn't become an actual problem. I'm very mindful of it. I think so many of us have different coping mechanisms, but I know a lot of women find solace or comfort or distraction or a sense of self-sabotaging in a strange way, satisfying when it comes to food. And so I am not an expert at all in this area. This is not a podcast that is um, aimed at I guess, trying to give medical advice or guidance. This is purely just a bit of a chat on a topic that I know so many women are struggling with. First and foremost, I would absolutely encourage anyone who is struggling with any sort of eating disorder, or even if you feel like it's more just disordered eating and it's not a full-blown disorder, I would still absolutely encourage you to have a really open mind 
about why you've developed the habits and the strategies that you've developed and whether or not you might need some help. It can be really scary and confronting to put your hand up and say, hey, I need some help with this. And it can be really, um, really tricky if you do put your hand up or you do book that appointment and you seek some support and then it's dismissed as, oh, that's normal. You know, you're in a healthy weight range. That's normal. Being your own advocate and really seeking to connect with someone who can guide you and support you and help you unpack why you've developed this Um, I don't know what you call it, this habit. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a habitual coping mechanism for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, I would just encourage you to be open-minded into exploring why you're doing what you're doing and how you could overcome this or how you could live with it in a way that is not so destructive. I think, yeah, as I said, I'm not an expert in this, guys, but I really felt called to speak about it just after hearing so many of you share your stories with me. I popped up a little Instagram story on this topic and I was inundated with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women sharing their experience. I have taken some screenshots and I thought I would share those with you as well because sometimes when we're in something, when we're going through a tricky time, it can feel like we're the only person or that we are uniquely damaged because we're experiencing this and it's just not the case. There can be some real comfort in knowing that a lot of other people have this way of coping or surviving as well and there are also so many people who have overcome it. I have interviewed a eating disorder coach before on the podcast and she has spoken about how you can absolutely overcome this way of thinking and acting, and you can have complete food freedom. Then I've also interviewed other experts and just people that I know in my real life who work with clients and they have said to me, look, for a lot of people who have eating disorder tendencies, it often becomes more so that you learn to be mindful of it. And it might not ever get to a point where you can completely release and completely have full freedom from it. But like a lot of things in life, you learn how to manage it because you don't want to get spirally and go down that path again. And so firstly, I want to be really clear. I'm not a medical expert. Secondly, I really want anyone who is listening to this podcast to have an open mind and to seek help and support if any of this sounds like it's going on for you. Thirdly, I want to talk about what binge eating is. The definition is frequently consuming unusually large amounts of food in one sitting and feeling that eating behavior is out of control. The term binge, that like that word, it gets used a lot and it gets used lightly. You can use it in terms of binge watching a whole Netflix series. People also use the term binge when it comes to just eating a large amount in a social setting. You know, you might have someone over and be like, oh, I had such a binge. You know, we binged because we had a pizza and ice cream. People do use the term lightly. And I guess I want to make a really clear distinction between using the term lightly in the context of, you know, binging as in I've overdone it or I've gone full in and, I, you know, I've exceeded a standard amount, there's been excess versus actual binge eating disorder because binge eating 
disorder is a psychological illness. It's a mental health problem. And binge eating is one of, I think it's actually the most common eating disorder. When we think of eating disorders, we think of um, anorexia, bulimia, and sometimes even obesity. But binge eating is the most prevalent. And I think it's also one of the trickiest at times to identify in someone else because often people who are binge eating do stay within a fairly normal weight range. And in my opinion, I imagine that stops a lot of people from reaching out and seeking help because they don't look how they think they should look to be someone who is struggling with an eating disorder. So when you have anorexia and it's really, really obvious that you're super, super underweight, it seems like, okay, well, that that makes sense. But binge eating disorder can feel really confusing to people because they think, oh, I'm not fitting the stereotype of what someone who is struggling with an eating disorder looks like. But binge eating disorder is absolutely real. It's just not spoken about nearly enough. And I think it's it's massively underrecognized. Now, according to Eating Disorders Victoria, binge eating disorder, also known as BED, is in fact, as I mentioned, a psychological illness characterized by frequently eating excessive amounts of food, often when not hungry. It is not the same as overeating, as it is recurrent and more serious with feelings of guilt, disgust and depression often following a binging episode, which is really in line with what I was saying between, you know, when you use the term binge lightly in regards to overdoing, having excess versus really punishing yourself with a binge and often a binge, like binge eating disorder is done in um, solitude. There's a lot of shame with it. Sometimes there is purging. So that means sometimes people are eating to the point where they then throw up. Sometimes it involves over-exercising. More often than not, I believe it involves restriction. So falling into that cycle of really deeply restricting because there's so much pressure and guilt with the food that you've binged on that you then think, oh, I can't eat, so you won't eat all day. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more as well. Okay, so being really clear, I think, in my intro, my disclaimer, also obviously this could be a potentially upsetting topic for people to listen to, so just use your own discretion as well, of course. And again, not an expert here, just sharing the things I've learned through my own experience and my own conversations with other women and just the research I've done and all of the years, (laughs) the many years of therapy in regards to this topic. So I've spoken about the what. We've talked about what the definition is of binge eating disorder. Now the why can really vary. Why does one person develop this and another person doesn't? Hard to say. A couple of things that come to mind, as I mentioned, first and foremost, it being a coping mechanism. Pretty much any behavior that we engage in is meeting a need of some sort. We may be aware of it. We may be very, very conscious, such as we brush our teeth because it's meeting a need to maintain our oral hygiene versus you know, doing something that we're not aware of. Perhaps you subconsciously reach for your partner's hand because it's meeting the need of having that physical touch. Those sorts of things that, you know, below the surface 
we don't um, really consider, but they exist. And that absolutely happens with destructive and self-sabotage behaviors and habits. So for many people, it's a coping mechanism. It is meeting a need. Identifying what that need is can be tricky, but important. It can serve a purpose. It is sometimes really to do with that physiological cycle of restricting, you know, going full on going, nope, I'm not going to have X, Y, Z. It's that all or nothing mentality of saying, nope, I'm going to count calories. I'm going to eat this amount. I'm never going to eat X, Y, Z again. And then that feeds this beast within you that makes it more alluring. And that physiological desire to eat is so real. I have absolutely lived that when I was in a really bad way and I was very, very unwell and I had been struggling with anorexia. And then I went through binge eating disorder. And for me, it was like being taken over. Like I was this robot having this out-of-body experience and just needed to eat. And that can happen for a lot of people that, you know, our body needs to eat, our brain needs to eat. And if you deny it, if you starve yourself, you're so much more likely to find yourself overeating because there's just that urge. You want to stay alive. And so your body and your brain is going to go, ah, that's enough. We need to eat. Um, That cycle that I've spoken about, sometimes it's just that you are in a cycle and you don't know how to break the habit. Sometimes you have really negative beliefs about yourself. And so the need that it is meeting is proving that you are unworthy So you might have this deep-seated belief that you are no good. So then you set out to prove it right by engaging in a binge because that makes you feel shame. It makes you feel guilt. It makes you feel like shit. And so you're proving it right. A couple of other things to consider. We have all really been raised in a culture that is steeped in diet culture. I've been part of it for sure. So many of us have been. There are so many things to consider um, when it comes to diet culture. And it's a topic that I really want to become more educated in and explore with an expert. So stay tuned for that one. But ever since really giving a lot of consideration to this, it's like, I don't know, it just opens your eyes up so differently. And so it's something I'm striving to improve upon. Food rules are a big one. If you just think about now how many food rules you have, whether they are, you know, written down, like whether you've given yourself these food rules, perhaps things like no sugar, no dairy, no gluten, no eating after seven, no eating before 11, like you might have very clear rules, but then you'll also have rules that are just like ghosts, ghosts from your childhood, things that you learnt along the way that you're still carrying around with you. You know, we've all, depending on your age, but a lot of us lived through the season when Atkins was really popular. I know growing up, my mum was right into Weight Watchers and then the Tony Ferguson shakes and the Opti Slim and all that sort of stuff. So there are food rules steeped within our childhood as well. Even things like, you know, you've got to eat everything on your plate if you then want dessert. There are so many levels That's also, as I mentioned, the self-sabotage. We can also turn to binge eating disorder or that behavior from a place of being stressed, anxious, or depressed. 
end again with the childhood stuff i'm forever banging on about childhood stuff aren't i but genetically we can be predispositioned to lean on this behavior and a lot of us had this behavior role modeled and that role modeling is so important to talk about because so many of you are parents And I know that you don't want to perpetuate this type of coping mechanism, this type of eating your feelings, suffocating your feelings. You don't want to pass this on to your kids. I know that was a big one for me. And when I fell pregnant, so many people in my life were so worried that it would be really, really hard for me to gain weight, then deal with a body that, you know, had had been pregnant and had babies. Thankfully, it went the opposite way for me. But for a lot of people, it doesn't. It can be really, really triggering and then you go into becoming a parent with this really, this beast. And that's what it is. Binge eating disorder, any just any eating disorder feels like an absolute beast to carry it around. And so while I can't point to one thing and say, oh, if you're struggling with BED, this is why. I just wanted to offer those suggestions because perhaps you've not gotten to the point where you're curious about the behavior. You just notice it, you hate it but you can't quite figure out how to change it. I think it's so helpful. So, so helpful if we can at least introspect a little bit and become curious as to why we developed certain behaviors. Now, when it comes to wanting to change these behaviors and these patterns and these thoughts, I really, really would encourage anyone listening to consider a gradual approach and curiosity rather than this whole like, okay, tomorrow that's it. I'm never going to binge again because it's just such, it's just feeding that all or nothing mentality. And so many of you are already caught in that all or nothing mentality. It's like, I'm not going to have a piece of chocolate. I'm not going to have a piece of chocolate. Oh, holy fuck. I've had a piece of chocolate. Now I'm going to have the whole block. Oh, now that I've had the whole block, I'm going to have some ice cream. And then now that I've had ice cream, I might as well round this out with a sandwich. And then after, you know what I mean? Like it just spirals. And in your head, you could have a running dialogue saying, just get it out of your system and tomorrow will be better. Or it's okay because you won't eat tomorrow. Or maybe you have a dialogue in your head that is really berating yourself. And there's that negative voice that's like, yeah, of course you gave in. You're worthless. You've got no self-control. This is the way you're always going to be. Either one, either dialogue is no good um, and, I, and either dialogue is not true as well. I guess too, being really clear that binging can be very extreme. You know, there was a couple of people who shared their experience, um, which they identified as binge eating and it was things like having a Mars bar a day. That's not really what I'm talking about. With binge eating disorder, it is an excessive amount of food past the point of comfort, far past the point of the amount of food you would eat in front of other people. And there is this robot-like urge to get it in and guilt. There's often a lot of secrecy with it. You know, it could be done in the car. It could mean that you're having to replace food frequently that you've bought and consumed So I just wanted to touch on that because I forgot to do that at the start. But what I was saying is I would definitely encourage you to consider a more gradual and curious approach when it comes to these behaviors. Please do not think, oh, okay, that's it. Now that I've identified it's self-sabotage, tomorrow I'll be fine. Become curious, curious about your why. Is it 
one clear reason that is driving you towards this behavior? Can you really pinpoint it? Or is it a combination of reasons? I think more likely than not, it will be a combination. Could be things like diet culture mixed with food rules, mixed with anxiety. Um, But when you can gain some clarity on the why, and then you can become more of a curious observer and take the pressure off and think about a more gradual approach, I think that's the way to go, guys. And I've spoken about this before when it comes to um, making improvements in health. One of my favorite authors speaks about habits and he says there is a massive shift that occurs if you are just 1% better or you just shift two degrees, you end up in a totally different place. If you think about an aircraft, if you just alter the nose of the aircraft ever so slightly to the left, it changes the trajectory and the end result. An aircraft who switches just two degrees will land somewhere entirely different. So we're thinking about small shifts and being an observer and also being an objective observer, which is tricky. And I think as women. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One of our gifts is that we can be really fluid with our feelings and our storytelling. And being objective for some of us, and I can be like this, can be really, really tricky but trying to take that observer lens. And what I mean by objective is, okay, what am I for real doing? Like, don't tell yourself a story about why you deserve that binge or what you're going to do to make up for that binge. Get honest with yourself, I guess is what I'm saying. And that is fucking uncomfortable for a lot of us. Um, When it comes as well to working out those beliefs that we have in mind, You can become curious about ways to improve those beliefs. So say, for example, you identify that um, under eating and restriction is a massive trigger for you. Like you're struggling to eat all day because you have this foreboding feeling that you're going to binge at night. So you sort of think to yourself, you're foreshadowing, you're going, I'm not going to eat at all today, or you're not eating because of the binge the night before. And it all feeds into one because if you don't eat, you are going to binge likely. If not that day, then the next day it will happen at some stage. It's also connected. So perhaps you've realized that restriction is your MO. You can then think about ways that you could improve that. And being objective, what are some ways you could trial as an observer playing with that? You know, if there's no pressure to eradicate it entirely, which I am definitely saying, do not put that pressure on yourself. There's no pressure to eradicate that entirely because that can be scary when it's your coping mechanism. But just thinking, huh, I wonder if I tried today instead of waking up and going, you know what, you overate last night, you're not going to eat. I wonder what it would be like if I have breakfast and then I set an alarm. And in three hours, I have morning tea. And then I set an alarm 
and then I have lunch. Just trying it and then checking in with yourself at the end of the day and seeing how you feel. Now, you might very well still go ahead and binge. You might do this for weeks, but just being curious and what you'll find over time is developing the habit of checking in with your body is so helpful because there's this disconnect between what our body actually wants and needs and feels versus what we're trying to achieve. So, you know, another thing might be you realize you tend to fall into this habit of binge eating when you're stressed. So identifying what those stresses are and taking some action to alleviate those stresses. If it is, um, stress with work, you know, do you need to have a meeting with your boss? Do you need to have an honest conversation with your partner? Is it relationship stress? Do you need to book in to see a counselor together? Just being proactive to actually treat the cause rather than just focusing on the symptom is always a great idea. Now, when it comes to the practical gradual approach, I would also encourage you to consider thinking about systems, behaviors, and triggers. Now, again, just reiterating, I am not an expert in this. I'm just sharing the things that I have learned through my own um, life. (laughs) So identifying triggers, again, be objective. What are the times of day that you are likely to binge and where do these binges occur? Most people will have a scene, a setting, a location, it's all the same stuff, um, that they have their binge. So maybe it is on a Wednesday after school drop-off, you hit the drive-through. That's your thing. And you go to a specific drive-through and you park in a specific spot. And so you have the same setting. Or maybe it is, you know, your partner works away and so it's once the kids are down, you go and you sit on the couch or you don't even make it out of the kitchen, which I know happens a lot for people struggling with binge eating disorder. They're just binging at the pantry. And I know that was my experience um, in my early 20s. I can remember moving back in with my parents and I would just stand at their pantry and just hoover things in. Like I'm talking massive amounts of food because I was so starved and I was so scared to face what was really going on. So noticing... When is the setting, the time of day, what's the behavior? Do you have trigger foods as well? So there can be the trigger times of day, the times of day that we're feeling more stressed or lonely or certain emotions, stressed, anxious, sad, um, all of those things. And then there can be the trigger foods. So some really common ones could be peanut butter, chocolate, biscuits, cereal, nuts, dried fruit, often it tends to be quite calorie dense foods. And I think that this is just a stab in the dark, but I assume that that happens for a lot of people who have been restricting because it's like your body just wants the dense stuff. It's like you have this urge, like for so long, you didn't allow yourself to have it. When you are clear about the time of day, where it occurs, and also your trigger foods, This is intel for you to then think about modifying or adding systems to, I guess, put a bit of space between the trigger and the behavior. So it's important to understand that all behavior stems from a thought. So we have a thought or we might have a trigger, then a thought, depends, and then we act. We have the behavior. 
Sometimes modifying the trigger to just put a bit of distance between the trigger and the action can be helpful. And when it comes to a gradual approach and being kind and just curious, this is what I really want to highlight here. Any improvement is better than no improvement. What I mean by that is if you can even create a system where you delay your binge by 10 minutes, where you check in with your body before your binge, when you stop the binge sooner than you might have in the past, when you tell someone about your binge, when you take some sort of positive action, even and especially, especially if you take a positive action and it doesn't eradicate the binge, that is still a win and still a win to be recognized and celebrated. Okay? We're not aiming for perfection here at all. So modifying your triggers might be things like, um, first and foremost, if you have a trigger food, don't bring it into the house for a while. You know, you might think, oh, I should be able to handle this. I should be able to make brownies. I should be able to have a massive jar of peanut butter. I should be, I could be, I'm feeling strong. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to put it on the highest shelf. I'm not, you'll still know it's there. And so I'm not saying that you can't have these foods in your company forever, but I'm just saying to make some progress and to build a bit of confidence with yourself, don't even bring the triggers into your home. You need to change the system. Don't let them come in. Don't go to the drive-through. Don't even like flirt with the fire if you can avoid it. Um, That's really important. Other ways to modify your system perhaps is to consider, say, for example, it is at night when the kids go to bed and you're lonely. Instead of going into the kitchen, you schedule a phone call with a friend. You put a bit of space in there. So 7.30 p.m. you're having that phone call or you have a really long shower or you take a bath, or maybe you book in for an online course, you commit to listening to a live chat, like you do something. For a lot of um, conditions that ail us, (laughs) connection is an antidote. So if you can build in some connection in that space, bonus points for sure. Could be as simple when it comes to systems as when you're serving yourself some food, you put the rest of the food away rather than leaving it out as an open invitation. And, you know, these will all vary. Some people will be so much further down the track than others. Um, So it could be simple things like putting it on the highest shelf, whereas for other people it's like do not bring it into the house, you know, for months. Give yourself a complete break from those triggers. Um, It's easier to say no once than it is to say no a 100 times when you're feeling lonely, stressed, depressed. Also thinking about your environment, which is pretty much the same thing when it comes to what you bring into your environment. How can you make your environment more geared towards delaying, putting some space between the thoughts and the action? So it could be things like maybe you have a jar and you fill that jar with things you could do, like paint your nails, um, phone a friend, foam roll came to mind, the foam rollers in front of me now, Um, listen to a podcast, watch a series, whatever it is, fill it with with things, you know, cleaning out your cupboard. That can be a particularly good one, not your pantry, but like a cupboard away from the pantry because it's again giving you some control. And this is all eating disorders. 
you know, it's control. And so that loss of control when it comes to the binge um, can be really, really scary. And you might resist it because sometimes it feels good to lose control. But anyway, I digress. Back to my idea of having a jar. You know, you could have dance to five songs in it, whatever. It doesn't matter. Fill this jar when you're feeling particularly good and strong And then you might make a deal with yourself that to create a bit of space between the thought and the action. So you're thinking, you know, you're thinking about the binge, train yourself to go to that glass jar first, pull something out and it's hard to do it. Hard to do it. It's easy to sit here and say it, but this is something that I used 10 years ago and it really helped. And I would just commit to doing at least three, you know, and then after the three of them, I would check in with myself and think, okay, where am I at? Do I need to keep going here? Just adding a bit of space builds a bit of confidence that you can, in fact, be the one truly in the driver's seat. Circuit breakers, that's another term that I remember a therapist using with me is like, if you're in that cycle, what are some circuit breakers for you? Having a visual reminder of that glass jar can be helpful. I speak a lot about having a mental health toolkit. So think of that glass jar as part of your toolkit. Setting a timer can be helpful as well. And one of the trickiest things is to sometimes set a timer and then check in with yourself. So you set a timer for five minutes and you lay on the floor and you have to really think, what are the sensations in my body right now? What does that urge feel like? Where is that urge? Where is that urge coming from? And you might then, when the timer goes off, go ahead and binge. But freaking congratulate yourself for putting that circuit breaker in there first and practicing checking in. Mindfulness is really, really important. A lot of binge eating disorder is about numbing. We don't want to feel what's going on for us. So really developing that habit of checking in and asking yourself, what do I actually need is a huge, huge win for sure. I cannot remember where I heard this. It would have been on a podcast of some sorts, but I can't remember who to attribute this to. I feel like it could even be maybe Glennon Doyle. I don't know. Don't quote me. But it was along the lines of saying, you know what? Even Janine Roth. If you've heard of Janine Roth, she's written some great books on women and food and God. And when I say God, for some people, that is actual Christian faith. For some people, it is more spirituality and the universe, whatever it is for you. Janine Roth, her work, um, some of it I really, really connect with and it can be really, really helpful. So it could be worth checking out and that's Janine with a G. Um, So I know that I've heard this from her, but also it was more recent. There was a discussion surrounding how a lot of us have a lack of religion and belief and a lack of connection with our spirituality. And so we're turning to food to fill that void. We don't have something else, a higher power. And so we're turning to food and almost um, putting it on this massive (laughs) pedestal of making it good or bad, making it empirical. I think that's where I was going with that word. And then because it's either good or bad, we can then fall into line with that you know, and we're demonizing food and we're demonizing behaviors and we're putting on a pedestal this behavior of restraint 
when it comes to food and, you know, being the good girl and having it all sorted. And so there's this kind of inner rebellion thing that could be going on for some people as well. There are so many things to talk about when it comes to binge eating disorder. And so I'm going to keep exploring this. As I've mentioned, I'm going to pop another episode up soon with an expert on the topic. I wanted to just share with you before I finish up this episode, some of the things that people opened up and I'm not definitely not sharing names, but people were open, able to open up and share with me because there is a lot of comfort in knowing that we're not alone. Okay. So some of the answers to my question in regards to share your experience with me go along the lines of this. I don't eat all day while the kids are up, but once they go to bed, I eat everything. The binging leads to guilt, which leads to more binging and more guilt. It's a cycle for me. In a binging episode, you will eat anything and removing triggers doesn't always help. No matter how much I eat when I binge, I don't feel full because I'm not satisfied. And that's so important to keep in mind because you're not satisfying a actual hunger. Sure, there could be that physiological drive that gets you starting to eat and gets you losing control when you've restricted, but you go past the point of feeling satisfied. It says, does this include emotional eating too because I'm a nurse on shift work and it's hard sometimes? It's exhausting and I am full of self, self-loathing. self It's an out-of-body experience. I eat really well during the day and then at night it all goes to shit. I hate it. If I open a packet of biscuits, I eat them all. It took me 15 years to realize my binge eating disorder was driven by anxiety. I now take medication and no more binge eating. It impacts me greatly. This habit is starting to consume me and affect all areas of my life. Stress and not feeling in control of other aspects of my life brings it on. I binge eat after the kids go to bed. Maybe I'm bored. It's a struggle. I eat to self-soothe out of habit after dinner. I eat so much, I feel so sick. It pops up the most when when abandonment issues are triggered for me. No one knows that I struggle with this. It's always done on my own. I worry about the impact on my mental health. Whenever I'm sad, I binge eat. I grew up with a mum who role modelled this. I try to be good and I end up so painfully hungry that I cannot stop myself from eating. Every time I feel sad or down, My brain tells me to eat a bag of Doritos. I can eat a whole bag in 10 minutes. I sneak into the pantry throughout the day for a square here or a row there, and then boom, I eat the whole block of chocolate. I binge until I am physically sick. I do it because food doesn't judge me. Food comforts me. My kids stress me out so much that eating is how I cope. I constantly go to the pantry to binge, Binging is my secret. I binge in my car. I feel like I'm coming out of the other side of this now, but it has been a long road. I haven't done it for years, but I used to buy loads of junk food and then eat it on my own. 
So there's a, there's just a few of the replies. I have screens and screens and screens of them. I just selected a few at random, but I wanted to share those because when we are struggling with an issue like this that is impacting our mental health, we can feel so isolated and we feel ashamed. And when we're shamed, when we're, when we're in shame, it's so hard to see out of that and it's really hard to feel connected. And so I want to be really clear in saying to you, I have struggled with this. I know how debilitating it can be. I know how much of your brain space this behavior can take up. You can make positive changes. It's not about being perfect. It's about recognizing that this is not something like you don't, life's so short. That's what I want to say to you. Like Life is so short to be controlled by this stuff. And that's how it feels. It feels like you're captive when you're in this. And so I just really, really want to encourage anyone who is identifying with this to seek some help. Even if the help is just, you know, you've listened to this podcast and you're just going to be a little more curious, pop a little bit of distance between your binging thought urge and your action, having a look at your systems objectively. And I would love it if you book in with your GP to explore how you can best gain some support. As always, it would mean the absolute world to me and more so with this episode because this is a topic that women need to know you're not alone. So you might feel uncomfortable sharing this episode because you think, oh, what if someone thinks I, I binge eat? You know what? So many people do. So share this episode. Let's open the conversation and hopefully there will be some women listening who will be able to take some positive action or just some comfort in knowing they're not alone would mean the world if you share this episode on your Instagram, tag me at Kylie Camps. I appreciate you listening and I can't wait to share the next episode on this topic with you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.